Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23 and reading through verse 32. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority do you do, are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did John's baptism come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will have to say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd. Because everyone considers John to be a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered. But he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your powerful word that does not change. And here in this passage, you lay before us two roads, two diverging pathways, the path of Christ and the path of the crowds. Lord, we know that the path of the crowds is a well-traveled road. And many there be that find it. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow the narrow road, the path of Christ, especially in a day when walking that path might invite the jeering of the crowds, might invite the hatred and animosity and ridicule of the crowds. But Lord, Help us to stay on the straight and narrow, following the pathway of Jesus in this very treacherous day. So Lord, I pray that we would do so with joy, even as you did with the joy set before you. You endured the cross, despising its shame. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to do it with the same delight, knowing that we are receiving the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, and inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have that kind of boldness that would follow Christ and truly declare with our lives, as we've already sang, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Lord, do that in our souls today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may know exactly the reference of which I titled my sermon, Two Roads Diverged, especially if you paid attention when you were in 
junior high school or perhaps even a high school class. Maybe you, as I did, had to, had to memorize Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. And I won't quote the whole poem to you, but the very last stanza is one that he originally had actually meant as an ironic kind of poem. He actually wrote it just when he was out walking in the woods with, on, and walking some trails with a friend of his, and they saw two roads that were diverging in a yellow wood, and they were like, which one do we take? I don't know. Which one should we take? And they kind of joked about it, and they decided which one to go on, and they decided to go on the one, uh, whichever one they decided to go on, the one that was left traveled. And he actually wrote a poem and thought that it was a funny poem. <laughs> But then he first read it to a college class and he thought he would get a chuckle out of it, but instead they found it profound. A profound explanation of what so much of life is like. The last stanza of his poem says this, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. One of the things that we see in the book of Matthew is constantly Jesus is pointing out two roads, the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. We see that theme really appearing again and again and again. And here in this passage as well, we see two roads diverging, a decision point for the chief priests, for the scribes, for the elders, for the Pharisees, a decision point in their life. Which road will you take? Will you take the road of popularity and power? Will you take the well-traveled road of playing to the crowds? Or will you take the Christ road? Will you take the harder road? Even though it's the harder road, it is the road that leads to life. And I know many of you this morning and also watching online are facing similar decisions in your life. Whether you are a student and you're having to decide, am I going to go the Jesus road or am I going to go the road of the crowds, which so often is opposed to the Christ way, the Jesus way. It doesn't change when you become an adult. You just have different temptations. Some of them are the same, but the peer pressures of the crowd that are pressing in on you, either from your neighborhood or from social media, is pressing in on you. And you have decisions to make every day. And I'm go- am I going to go the Christ way or or am I going to go the crowd way? That's also true of leaders. In leadership, even as we see here in this passage, here are the leaders of the people, and they have a choice to make, having read and been memorizing most of the, if not all of the Old Testament. They knew it. They knew it. They knew it. And yet, were they going to go the pathway that would follow Christ, or would they follow the pathway that they thought would bring them the greatest popularity? And so we see that today in leadership as well. Leaders have to make similar decisions. Will I follow the narrow Jesus road that leads to life or the broad road that leads to destruction? And today what I want you to see from this passage is I want you to consider two roads. I want you to consider the outcome of those two pathways. Will you follow the road of Christ and will you continue to commit to that road with joy in your life or will you commit to the road of the crowd? Where does that road eventually lead? Number one is this. Following the crowd leads to exclusion from God's kingdom and ultimately destruction. 
Following the crowd leads to exclusion from God's kingdom and ultimately leads to destruction. Jesus is, in this passage, it's Passion Week. It's Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus is going back to the temple on Tuesday after he had cleansed it on Monday, spending the night outside of the city on Monday night. And he's returning to the temple and he's teaching in the temple courts. Now, this is actually the first time in the book of Matthew that we see Jesus teaching in the Jerusalem temple. Certainly, Jesus had taught many other places throughout Galilee and other, other vicinities in the ancient Near East in Israel. He had been teaching in various different places. But in Matthew, this is the first time that the king has entered into the temple with a, in teaching mode. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And you can imagine the people that are there that are hearing Christ preach for the very first time are having their souls burn within them as they hear the words of the Messiah, the teaching of the Messiah at this particular moment of time, even the very week that he would give his life as a ransom for many. They're they're being convicted, they're being challenged, they're being changed in the presence of King Jesus, and Jesus is beginning to, by his words and by his very person, win over the crowds that are standing in front of him. Now, the Pharisees who are standing there as well are getting angry. They're seething. And the reason why they are seething is because they feel that the loyalty of the crowds, that the passion of the crowds, that the attention of the crowd, that the ear of the crowd is beginning to turn away from them, turn away from their authority, turn away from their teaching, turning away from their power, and yielding it to Jesus. And so they asked Jesus a question. Who gives you the authority to do this? I find that a very interesting question to ask Jesus. The one who created all things, the one who is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What gives you the authority to do this? This is Jesus. Jesus, with much grace, will answer them with grace in his question, seeking to show them what it is that they're really living for, that they're living for the approval of the crowds rather than the approval of God. It's something we must watch for in our own souls. The Pharisees were right in a way to ask this question. They're responsible for the temple teaching. They're responsible for what happens there in that place. They should have asked the question, by what authority are you doing these things? But in their question, they even revealed that they don't realize that they have been leading and teaching in a way that displeases God. In fact, they will miss the entire point of the Old Testament. They will miss the entire entire point of God's revelation who is standing right there in front of them Jesus the Messiah the reason for it all the center of it all these lording leaders criticize Jesus by whose authority are you teaching here if they were true teachers of the law they would recognize who it was that was standing right in front of them Jesus doesn't answer their question Jesus is Wise. Not every question is, needs an answer, does it? <laughs> Why doesn't he answer their question? He answers their question because he knows their motive. It's a trap! I can see Admiral Akbar right there saying, It's a trap! <laughs> From Star Wars fame. And so if Jesus says that his teaching comes from God, they will accuse him of blasphemy. And so... 
And if Jesus says that his teaching comes from a human being, a man, Jesus would be lying. <laughs> because Jesus is, is God. And his teaching comes from God. And so rather than answer their question directly, Jesus wants to draw them in. Jesus wants to lead them to a place of repentance and grace. With grace, he reaches out to them and tries to help them to see the error of their ways. Jesus asks them a soul-searching question. John's baptism, is that from God or is that from man? John's baptism, is that, is that, was John sent from God or was John... Is John just a human preacher and doesn't preach a message from heaven? The chief priests and the elders begin their calculus, as so often does when you play to the crowds, when the crowds are the king in your life. There is this calculus that comes into play. What am I going to lose by going this way or that way rather than going the Christ way? There's this calculus of the crowd that will lead you down the road of destruction. Rather than live out of their convictions, they lick their finger, they put it in the air and see which way the winds of opinion are blowing and they want to go in that particular direction. Option one, they reasoned in their minds, option one was this, that John's baptism came from heaven. We could say that. But it would cost them if they said that. What would it cost them? It had been 400 years since a prophet had come from heaven. 400 years since Malachi had come and preached to Israel. 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, piercing the silence in the desert, there is this voice of one crying out, yelling in the desert, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Coming in the mode of Isaiah and the mode of Jeremiah, in the mode of of the other prophets, Ezekiel and Malachi and Micah and others. He is this voice of the one who's not following the crowds that cries out in a way that will cost him his head. You must repent. Repent now. The kingdom of God is at hand. The people knew that he was a prophet sent from God. But if they say John is from heaven and John preached a message from heaven, John said some really important other truth that they would also have to say thumbs up to. John also said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. If they say John's from heaven, they're saying that's a message from heaven as well. Therefore, Jesus is from heaven. John said some other things as well. John 1.29, John the Baptist says there, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To say John's from heaven, to say John is right in his prophetic word. And so the one standing and before them right there teaching in the temple is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John also said in John 3.30, John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. 
And that goes exactly against what the chief priests and the leaders wanted. What their heart's desire was, was not for them to decrease in Christ to increase, but they wanted to increase in the estimation of the crowds, in the estimation of popularity, in the estimation of what the opinion of the world was, so that the crowds would just say, yeah, we love you, you're the greatest. But John the Baptist had the opposite road there. He knew that the way up was the way down, that the way up was to exalt Christ above all things and make your life all about Him and shining a spotlight on Him. Can you see the two pathways here? The path of the crowd or the path of Christ? Oh, we can't have any of that. We can't, we, can't say, we can't say John was from God, that John's message is from heaven, because to say that would be to confess Jesus as Lord. To say that would say he must increase and we must decrease. And we know from their core heart's motivation that they were motivated by the approval of the world rather than the approval of Christ. And so that's one option that's off the table. They can't go that way. Option two was to say John's baptism came from man. So they could say it's from heaven, he's from heaven. That would be to approve of Jesus standing right in front of them. They could say, no, John's baptism, John's message came from man. That would do another thing. The crowds all thought and believed and were right about this fact that John came from heaven. And if they said that John was from man, they would risk alienating all of the crowds against them. And so they obviously couldn't say that either. And so what are they going to do? Either way, they're going to lose the crowds. So what do they do? They cop out at this moment and they say, "Mm," in verse 26, 27, we don't know. I don't know. Oh, they know. They know what they think. This is a tremendous lack of courageous leadership. This is what happens when the crowds rule in your life as you're enchained to where you no longer have a convictional authority of where you are headed in your life. And so... Whatever the crowds think, we don't know. The Bible has a lot to say about being driven by the opinion of the crowd. A rich history all the way from the very first book of the Bible all the way through. Let me just hit some of the highlights for you of how it goes for people when the crowds matter more than the opinion of God. Think about the Israelites, the crowds around Moses, the multitudes around Moses constantly grumbling, constantly saying things like, oh, the buffet was so much better in Egypt. (laughs) Can we just go back? I don't like this man anymore. This quail is terrible. We had such good food there. Oh, they remember the past better than it was. But that's the way the crowd mentality works. The ten spies versus the two. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they do when they got to Canaan, right? Ten were bad and two were good. And so the opinion of the crowd was swayed by the masses, by the mass of the ten, rather than the faithfulness of the two who saw a mighty God rather than the opinion of the crowds. 
The crowds were their God in that particular moment. Only two remembered the promises of God, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Think about the crowds in, their, in the time of Samuel. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And so God gave them a king. God said through Samuel, you have rejected me as your king, so I'm going to give you a king, and you're going to get the consequences of that particular king, and then one day he will bring in the king after his own heart the opinion the opinion of the crowds we think about how the crowds rejected the prophets the crowds that were standing around and then bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol while Hananiah Azariah and Mishael were standing there at attention we will not bow the knee their other names were Shadrach Meshach and Abednego you may know them by that name but they refused to bow down with the crowd standing firm for their God in the midst of a bowing worlds we think about the crowds in jesus's ministry fast forward to the new testament john chapter 6 is in education and crowd crowd mentality because in john chapter 6 verse 15 it says this therefore when jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he withdrew again to the mountain by himself so Jesus had just fed the 5,000. The crowd at that moment was about to try to make Jesus king by force, but they wanted Jesus not to be their king of kings and lord of lords. They wanted him to be their burger king. They wanted Jesus to keep doing some miracles and keep him fed there in the desert. Do whatever we want you to do. And Jesus says, I will have none of that because he knew what their hearts were. John chapter 6, verse 15, the crowds are shouting out, make him king, make him king, make him king. But you know what happens in John chapter 6 and verse 66? John, same chapter, John 6, 66. From that time forward, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Same chapter. <laughs> One part of the chapter, he's king, he's king, he's king. By the end of the chapter, we're gone. If you don't forget verse 67, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Two roads diverged in a wood. The disciples were taking the road less traveled. Which one are you going to take? We see that the crowds eventually gather in Jerusalem in this very week and shout out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And so there is this temptation in leadership. There's this temptation in ministry to be an ear tickler. And I think that's exactly what the Pharisees were, what the chief priests were in this moment. They were seeking to, how can we best tickle the ears of the crowds so that they continue to like us, so that we continue to have the power in this situation? Following the crowds and the chief and the, following the crowds led the chief priests and the elders to make a horrific, selfish decision that eventually would lead to their own destruction as they walked down that well-traveled, broad road. Jesus then, in love, 
tells them a parable to illustrate their predicament, beginning in verse 28 through verse 32. Jesus tells them this parable, and he says, listen, there are two sons. And dad goes to the first son, and he says, I want you to go out to the field. And the son says, no, I'm not going. Well, that would have been shocking in that particular day that a son would actually say that to their dad. You didn't do that in that day, and you shouldn't do it any day, but that's what happened. The son said no, but later on he changed his mind and did his father's will and went to the field. Did his father's will. Changed his mind. But then the other son is asked as well. The other one outwardly yeah, yeah, his dad and said, yes, yes, I'll go. But while his word said yes, his actions and his attitude said no, because he did not go out to the fields. And then Jesus asked the religious leaders, the uh-oh police, which one did the father's will? Which one obeyed their dad? And they rightly answered the second one. I can imagine Jesus there saying, ding, 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 you get one of them right today. That's good. <laughs> you got it right. Yet he brings in the conviction in on them and he says, you, you are the second son. You honor God with your lips, but you deny Him by your lifestyle because the crowd means more to you and really is your ultimate God rather than God in heaven. And the pathway that this is going to lead down is going to lead down the pathway of destruction. You say you follow God, but when the time comes, you care more about the opinion of people than the opinion of God, Jesus is saying to these leaders. And where will that end? Look at verses 42 through 45. We'll talk about that next week. But look at verse 42, just a preview. Next parable, Jesus says to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whom, on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew they were, he was speaking about them. And so at that moment, they realized that this stone that had become the cornerstone, or maybe they didn't realize it at the moment, but it was about to crush them. Their rejection of Christ and their embrace of the crowds was the pathway that leads to destruction. And it may not have happened in an instant, but it certainly happened, would happen in eternity if you reject Christ. Galatians 1.10 says this, for I am now trying to, am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I trying to please people? Am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The key point in this passage is live your life before an audience of one. It only really matters ultimately what Jesus says and what his opinion of your life is all about the crowds are fickle one day yay next day crucify who are you going to live your life for the only opinion that matters is the one voice that one day could say to you if you follow him if you give your life to him well done thou good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things you shall be given much it's the only opinion that matters how do we apply this? Students and 
Young people, I want to encourage you. The temptation's incredible today to follow the crowd. And where you will be tempted to follow the crowd is so oftentimes in the area of spirituality and the area of the sexual ethic. And the crowd so often today is so opposed to what the Bible teaches, what the clear, narrow path teaches, is that Jesus indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through Him. He is the only way. And so to believe that and to live publicly about that will so often invite the rejection of your friends, the rejection of the crowd. Which pathway? Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. The Jesus path is the best path. The Jesus path is the path that leads to life. Follow Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Stay on that narrow road. Same is true for you and for really all of us in terms of the sexual ethic today. What we believe and what the Bible teaches and what God intended for sexuality is totally being attacked in our culture today. And so to stand firm on that narrow road is going to invite increasingly so in the future the rejection of the crowds. Jesus said this world will hate you. In fact, Jesus says in Luke, he says, if everybody has, he says, woe to you if everybody has something good to say about you. Because so they did to the false prophets. (laughs) And so we as young people and as as teenagers, you as teenagers, not me, you as teenagers and young people, I want to challenge you. Don't live a life that just says, which way is the wind blowing? Which way is the cloud blowing? How can I get the most likes on my account? How can I get the most retweets or reposts or interactions? If that's all you get, that's your reward. That's a pretty pitiful reward because I don't remember how many likes I got on December 18th of 2019. I don't even remember what I posted that day or if I posted that day. It doesn't matter. Less than two years later, it doesn't matter. It's gone. Like puff of smoke in the wind. It's not something to live your life for. Let me challenge others at this. Well, let me read a scripture for young people. I've been reading, studying, and meditating in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 10, 14, and 19 says this. Listen, my son, accept my words, and you will live many years. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of the evil ones. But the way of the wicked is like darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. Read Proverbs. Let me encourage you. If you want to stay on the straight and narrow road, just meditate on the book of Proverbs. Read slow through it. There's 31 Proverbs, one for every day of the month. Read, read the proverb of the day. Today's the 18th. Read Proverbs 18. And so let me encourage you, stay on that straight and narrow. Adults, let me challenge you as well. There's so many ways in which we seek crowd acceptability. So oftentimes we try to fit in financially. We try to fit in with our bling. We try to fit in with our how we, how we try to fit in financially and materially with the people around us rather than giving ourselves to Christ and Him alone. So oftentimes, even adults I've seen carry this. It's not just a teenager thing. It's not just a student thing or a college thing. It is an adult thing as well where we try to fit in with the sinful crowd rather than following the straight and narrow pathway. Let me challenge you today. The Christ road is the best road. Follow Jesus and avoid the path of trying to play to the crowd's leaders. Let me challenge you as well. 
If you're going to lead, there are going to be times when you will not be popular among the crowds. You, to try to please as many people as possible is a common temptation of leaders. We like to be like. We want people to listen to us. However, leaders are called to give people, listen, leaders are called to give people what they need, not just what they want. Let me say that again. Leaders are called to give people what they need, not just what they want. And it's glorious when what they want and what they need coincide, but there are times when what they need and what they want sometimes go different directions. And that's the time to have the conviction to lead forward. I heard one say it like this. If you want the crowds to like you, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. <laughs> and isn't that true? <laughs> Everybody likes the ice cream, man. <laughs> and nothing wrong with selling ice cream. I like him too. <laughs> In fact, I like him a little too much. <laughs> but um, man, I love bomb pops. Oh, good stuff. But you can't have that mentality as a leader. Number two, and number two is, is shorter than number one. Following Christ leads to an inclusion, leads to inclusion in God's kingdom and ultimately life. Following Christ leads to inclusion in God's kingdom and ultimately life. Remember, there are two roads that are diverging here in the wood and in this pathway. There's the road of destruction. But in this pathway, we also see the road to life. And Jesus really does offer this road to the chief priests in this particular passage. Jesus begins this parable in verse 28 with this question, what do you think? And we've already gone over the parable, but... Don't skip over that question. In verse 28, what do you think? What is your thought? Which way are you going to go? And which son are you? Don't just read through the scripture and let it go in one ear and out the other, but let it set, settle in your mind. Let it examine your heart. What do you think? Which son are you? Are you the son that initially said no, but eventually changed his mind like this repentant son? Or are you the son that says yes outwardly, but inwardly no, because others are more important than you? One son says no, but ends up going. The other son says yes and ends up not going, denying his father by his life. We know that the first one is the one who did the father's will. And who is it that Jesus says that these, this son represents? In this particular parable, Jesus says that this son represents the tax collectors, and not sinners in this parable, but tax collectors and prostitutes. Those who feel like they must please the crowds because of their finances and those who feel like they must please the crowd because of their sexuality, the sexual ethic. And what decision does each of them make? While there was a time in their life when they walked on the wrong path, denying their father's will, going their own way. Dad, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. I'm going to go my own way. There came a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life where they went in a new direction. 
There is hope for tax collectors. There's hope for prostitutes. There's hope for sinners like you and sinners like me. Something happened. Something changed. And Matthew should know. Think about who is writing this parable down at this moment. He is included in the group tax collectors and prostitutes because he is a tax collector. And he's writing about himself in this moment in the parable and words of Jesus saying, Jesus receives repentant tax collectors. Jesus receives repentant prostitutes. Jesus receives repentant everybody who will turn to him and walk down his road rather than their own road and rather than the road of the crowds. Jesus receives them. What is the message here? The message here is three parts. What happened so that they could enter the kingdom of God? It's clear what they did. They heard the message of John. They believed the message and they changed their mind. I want you to look there, look there at verse, verse 30 and beyond. He says, The man went to the other and said the same thing, I will, sir, and he answered, but they didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, listen, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Why? For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you didn't believe them. They heard John, but they and they believed him. The prostitutes and the tax collectors did. Tax collectors and prostitutes did something different. They heard him. They believed him. The tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. But you, when you saw it, now notice these words, didn't even change your minds then and believe him the word there is the one of the two words in the new testament for repentance the tax collectors and prostitutes believed and repented repentance and faith is the pathway of salvation if you trust in jesus christ and turn away from your sins it doesn't matter what you've done before it doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you've lived it doesn't matter what you think you've been hiding from Jesus. He knows it all. He paid for it on the cross. If you will turn away from your sins, the word there is change your mind. It's go a different direction. If you'll change your heart, change your mind. Yes, empowered by the Holy Spirit is the only way. The Spirit does this work in your heart. But you, even exercising your will at the same time, change your mind. Go in a different direction. Decide, I'm getting off this path. I'm going on the Jesus path. I believe and I trust that is the pathway that leads to life. I will love what John Piper says about repentance and faith. He says the following, conversion then is repentance, turning from sin and unbelief, and faith, trusting in Christ alone for salvation. They're really two sides of the same coin. One side is tails, turn tail on the fruits of unbelief. The other side is heads, head straight for Jesus and trust in his promises. You can't have the one without the other any more than you can face two ways at once or serve two masters, or I would add, walk two roads. It's the only way. Repent, turn, change your mind, and believe in the gospel. There's hope for tax collectors. There's hope for prostitutes. Was there any hope offered to the chief priests? Did Jesus offer them any hope in that particular moment? I want you to see the very last words of verse 32. 
Jesus says there, tax collectors and prostitutes did believe them, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Implied in that statement is what about now? An offer, even to those who have been playing to the crowds, we know they didn't receive it, but it was offered. And I offer it to you today. Will you turn away from yourself? Will you turn away from the crowd-pleasing road that leads to destruction and follow the Christ road that leads to inclusion in God's kingdom and ultimately life? There was someone in history who did this, who followed the road, no matter what the uh, Christ road, no matter what the crowds did. And today is actually a very important anniversary in the history of the church. Because 500 years ago today, Luther, Martin Luther, stood before the Diet of Worms. It's spelled Worms, but it's not Diet of Worms. You're not eating worms. It's Worms. It's a city <laughs> in Germany. It's German. Martin Luther today stood before the Diet of Worms, and they asked him, do you, he was preaching this, salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone repentance and faith turn away from your sin trust in jesus that's all you that's what the bible teaches that's saving faith and he received tremendous criticism for it and he was tried for it and they asked him do you recant are you going to follow the way of the crowds are you going to follow the way of christ and in that moment 500 years ago today Martin Luther stood up and said this, unless I am convinced by proofs from scriptures or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract, for it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Will you be one? who will stand when the crowds are jeering and calling you back. Will you stand and will you walk for Christ? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your life. We thank you for this challenge that we have and how it speaks to a temptation that we all face, whether we are students or children or adults or leaders and whatever aspect we face, or even if we are deciding today whether or not we're going to believe the claims of Christ and follow Him. Lord, we know that this is a costly pathway, that it may cost us the opinion of the crowds, it may cost us the applause of the world, but thankfully that will gain the applause of heaven. The only opinion that matters. And so Lord, I pray that You would help us to be people who not in a way that just longs for people to be mad at us. That's not what we are about. We're not about just being irritable. But Lord, our heart's desire is to lovingly but firmly stand in Your truth. Stand in Christ. Do it winsomely, but know that it will cost us. And so Lord, I pray for everyone here that You would reveal in our souls those points in our lives where we have been following the crowds or following our own pathway or seeking the approval of the audience rather than the approval of Christ. Reveal these things to us and help us to follow the narrow Christ way. 
the Jesus way. And Lord, I pray for those who are not yet Christians. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day, whether in this room or online, that they would trust in you as Savior. And Lord, get off their own path and get on Jesus' way. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've come to a time of response, and I encourage you, if you need to respond to this message, either come and pray or kneel where you are. Let me encourage you to respond. Do business with Jesus. But also, if you're watching online, I encourage you to reach out to us either on our website or by the texting number. We'd love to minister to you. I have an appointment this week of somebody who's reached out to us online. So let me encourage you to, to do that.